Hey guys, it's time for Nina's Got Good News. Nina's a former TV news gal who used to share all the news. Now, as a mom and small businesswoman, she wants to share only the good stuff. It's time to brighten your day. So here's your host, Nina B. Clark. Hi everyone, how are you? I am Nina Clark, your proud host of Nina's Got Good News, and we are rolling. The mics are working, and we're here coming to you from the beautiful campus of Quinnipiac University here in Connecticut. I'm here with my producer extraordinaire, my partner in crime, Dan Ball. So welcome back, everyone. First up, I just want to say that you guys are the best. You really are. All your support is growing our movement. And remember, this movement to share good news is growing every single week here on iTunes because of all of you supporting this movement and listening. So thank you all so much. Today in podcast number 37, how did we get here, Dan? I can't believe it. We are going to brighten your day. So get ready, you guys. We are going to get everyone in a sunny state of mind. We're going to live on the sunny side of the street here. We are talking to a New York Times bestselling author. That's right. I'm also proud to call her my friend, my former TV news colleague. Her new book is called Mostly Sunny, and I have to say that it is crushing it on this New York Times bestseller list. So joining me from New York City is the senior meteorologist at Fox News, the morning meteorologist on Fox and Friends, my friend Janice Dean. Welcome to the podcast, JD. How are you? I am great. Congratulations on the podcast. I am honored to be number 37. Oh, are you uh, so cute? Wonderful. <laughs> true. Well, you're amazing. Congratulations on the book. And as I have told people that when we work together, you always brightened up the newsroom every single day. So it really does make perfect sense that your book is called Mostly Sunny. So tell us a little bit about the book. Well, listen, uh, first of all, it's doing great. And I am so appreciative of you and all of the wonderful support that I've gotten from, you know, the Fox and Friends family, people who watch at home. I've gotten great support from people I, you know, went to school with back home in Canada, uh, relatives that I haven't talked to in so long. So um, the book is bringing people together, which I love. Um, You know, it's people have asked me, have you been asked to write a book before about your life? And I will say that I've thought about it many times when I'm telling people these stories that I've been through. Um, And I like to, you know, I like to think that I'm a pretty good storyteller, but I have like great material over the years. And so I, you know, perhaps the acting side of me will, you know, use, you know, broad gestures when I'm talking about things that have happened in the past. This is certainly a challenge to, you know, put everything down on paper. I didn't know if I could do it. I've written children's books in the past. I've written books uh, about weather for kids, which I love doing, by the way. Um, But I didn't know if I could actually put pen to paper and um, really write about my life story. I have to tell you, though, it was I, I was pleasantly surprised by the process. I really enjoyed it. Oh, well, I love it. I loved reading it, and I'm just so excited that I actually read an entire book. Being a mom, you know, Janice, it's so hard to read. So I loved it so much that I actually read the entire book. So you mentioned you're a proud Canadian. So give us a thumbnail sketch about how your career in broadcasting started, because first you started in radio, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and it's something that I tell students all the time when I go out and talk to kids in schools is, you know, find what you most love to do, but sometimes that takes 
of trying out a lot of different jobs. And so I was somebody who was very curious as a kid. But I go back way back into my childhood when I was five or six years old, and I loved reading Alice in Wonderland into my dad's uh, tape recorder at home back in the 70s. And at that, at that time, I didn't know how to read, but I had memorized the whole Alice in Wonderland. So I would recite the book into my dad's tape recorder and rewind it, and play it back again, and rewind it, and play it back again, just to hear myself talk. My voice was, you know, um, was it was incredible to hear at a young age. And then my mom always loves to tell the story back home in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, of where I would go outside in the neighborhood and I would interview, you know, the neighborhood kids, my friends, like, hey, you know, what are you doing today? What's going on in the neighborhood? And, um, you know, talking to this big wooden spoon, like, this is my micro, this is my microphone. And so it, from a very young age, I knew I wanted to do something in broadcasting, but I didn't quite know what it was going to be. Um, but over the years, you know, I did all sorts of different jobs. I, you know, worked at a clothing store. Uh, I helped stuffed envelopes for, for, um, for a, a local election back home. Um, and then I worked at city hall during my high school days. Um, I was, I worked at a, as a dispatcher in the bylaw department. Um, and it was a job I applied for that sounded interesting. I did that for many summers and when I talk to people that I used to work with, they always say, oh, your broadcasting job came from, you know, dispatching calls, you know, to, to catch dogs on the loose. You know, bylaw base to 16, car 16, we have a 1069 on the loose. Um, and then from there, I met a, a salesperson uh, that worked at a classic rock station back home. And he, I told him that I was thinking about maybe broadcasting as, as a job or something that I might like to do. And he said, oh, why don't you come into the station someday and hang out with, you know, somebody in the newsroom and maybe you could shadow them. And, and I did that. And I met the afternoon jock. I did that, you know, for free because I was interested. And so I always tell students, you know, have an idea of what you might want to do and you know, volunteer or, or hang out with somebody for a day or a week or a couple of months, if you can, to see if it's something that you might want to do. And try to do all sorts of things. You know, I wrote the news. I um, produced the news. I, you know, did so many things during my career uh, that I loved. So I, I, I make sure that you don't have this, you know, sort of microscopic idea of what you want to do. Like, I want to be a reporter. I say do all of it so that, you know, that you can learn all the different types of jobs in the career that you might want to pursue. I love that. It's such good advice because people always ask me that too. And I'm like, you got to do everything and you also you have to be willing to work. I mean, I work that's right. like you, so many crazy shifts and overnight hours and people mm -hmm. would just not believe this stuff that you have to go through in news, but you got to have hustle to do it. So, well, yep. Janice, there was one important incident that you wrote about in the book in detail that made a real impact on you when you were working in radio early on in your career when you were working in Houston. You talk about it in the book. So tell us more about that incident in Houston, because there were some important lessons that I took away from that. But share a little bit more about that. Right. So I lived in Houston for probably four years, late 90s into the 2000s. And what, had a great career. I actually followed a boy down there, and I thought we were going to get married and, and all of that. We didn't, uh, but my career did really well. I was doing both radio and television, which is kind of the way my career um, 
started out doing mostly radio and then doing some television on the side. Um, I was hosting a morning show uh, on the radio with uh, a great co-host, and and you know the job played paid well. I was um, living in a, a you know quote unquote luxury apartment building, a, a one bedroom on the on the ground floor, and um, living in Houston, there's not a lot of cool nights. That night happened to be cool, so I turned off the AC and I opened up my window. I forgot to close the window. And um, I had somebody uh, break into my apartment, and um, he robbed me and then woke me up from my sleep. Uh, And I write about it in in the book and how I handled it. I ended up, you know, he woke me up, obviously, and I, the first, my gut instinct was to be very calm and, say hi to him. Can I help you? Um, and I was, you know, long story short, I was able to try to convince him that I had a lot of valuables and that he could take all of those instead of, um, you know, uh, abusing me physically or raping me essentially. Um, and so I was able to, with you know, very calmly keep telling him I have all sorts of jewelry. I mean, I didn't. I was making it all up. I have jewelry. I have money. I have a brand new car. Please take all of it. Uh, just please don't do this to me. Um, and so I, I detail it in the book. I, I, you know, my husband didn't really even know all the details. Um, you know, he certainly knew about the home invasion, but not to the extent to, that I write about it. But I thought it was important to write about it uh, for many reasons, um, you know, to maybe tell people to have an alarm system, close your window at night, um, and just how sometimes your best instincts are your gut instincts. Um, I also talk about the fact that I didn't have protection. I didn't have a gun. And what if I did have a gun? It ended up that this this guy, uh, you know, did this to several women and ended up raping one um, before he was put away. Uh, And so I thought it was an important... uh, chapter to put in the book for for those reasons, but also because it was sort of a pivotal moment in my life in my early 30s where I decided, is this what I really want in my life? Do I want to live in Houston? Do I love Houston? And and I actually moved back home to Canada after that incident because it shook me so much. But I also realized that if had that moment not happened, you know, coming to New York never would have happened. So it's sort of like all of these challenges that you go through in life Sometimes when you look at them from afar, you realize they had to happen to get you to the place that you are today. Right. Well, you're so strong. And when I when I read that part in the book, it just reminded me how strong you are and also close your windows. So that was that was something I thought about, especially since I have a daughter. So Mm -hmm. then you talk about this is something that you've made a lot of headlines for um, the way that you were mistreated by Don Imus when you worked for his show. So you went back to Canada and then shortly after you got these audition calls to come to New York and work for Don Imus and he did mistreat you. You talk about it extensively in the book and I actually can't believe on a total side note that you and I never met at MSNBC because I was working at MSNBC when you were working with Don Imus Mm. and his show was simulcast on MSNBC. So you and I actually didn't meet there. We met at Fox but you talk about in your book how people were scared of him in the newsroom, and I just have to say, I agree with you. 
But tell us what he did to you and how he mistreated you because you have been making a lot of headlines because of what you wrote about in the book about Don Imus. Right. And so I haven't really, I've shared that story with people over the years, certainly my close friends and my family. And as I was going through that year, because I was a year, a little under a year that I was working there, it was, you know, the one of the darkest moments of my life. Um, I knew of him, obviously, because he was very famous, a very famous announcer. And I knew of his personality on the air, you know, came across as gruff and could be, you know, sort of mean at times. Um, but I thought maybe that was just sort of an act. But it wasn't. Uh, he was, in many ways, more... A, terrible, if not more terrible, off the air to people. Uh, in particular with women, I found that if there was something about women uh, that he was more demeaning towards. He he treated the men on his staff poorly, but not as poorly as he treated women. Um, and so at the time, we were broadcasting from WFAN, which is a very uh, you know famous New York City sports station, and we were simulcasting on MSNBC. So I was never really in the MSNBC studios. We were always in the FAN studios. Um, but yeah, the treatment was terrible. He would call me names on and off the air. Um, you were sort of told not to address him unless he addressed you. And if you made a mistake, uh, I used to write his business reports and I used to write his news, the news for um, his co host, Charles, who, by the way, was a perfect gentleman. So it wasn't the whole staff that was like this. Um, but, you know, he just used to call me terrible names. You're fat, you're stupid, you're an idiot. You know, um, I would make maybe a, a spelling mistake on his business report and I would be banished to a different studio for a week or two weeks. Um, I would cry constantly uh, off the air after the program. And over the years, I've had people who would listen to the program and say, oh, my gosh, he was terrible to you on the air uh, as well. But he also used to carry a gun around and make sure that we all knew of it. And there were times he would come out of the studio with a loaded gun and, like, point it at the traffic reporter. Or he would name bullets after us. He would actually physically take the bullets out of the gun and name them. Um, so I... Listen, this is... I never in a million years thought I would be able to write a book about my experience with him, but... I think we're into a, a, a movement now where bad behavior should not be go unreported. Um, so I thought it was really important to um, talk about that. And since then, I've actually had women that have worked with him over the past that have reached out to say, thank God, thank God someone has finally said something. Well, I agree. You've got to speak up. So good for you for doing that, because I'm sure that was painful to relive it all in the book. But I'm so glad you did, because... I think it's important for the next generation of women and girls to know that that is just not acceptable. Unacceptable. Yeah, unacceptable. So the good news for you, though, is that you finally did get away from that Imus nightmare when you got a call from Fox News that the chairman, Roger Ailes, wanted to see you and meet you for a potential job. Roger would later be forced to resign many years, many years later, of course, for sexual harassment. And you talk about that time extensively in the book as well. I know you're very conflicted because for the on the one hand, he did hire you like he hired me and he did help you get away from Don Imus, which was a blessing. But he also did some very bad things to women as well. Correct. 
Yeah. I mean, listen, I talk about my experience. I can't really talk to other women's experiences except the ones that I talked to over the years that worked at Fox um, that had similar experiences. Now, um, I write about the few times that I felt very uncomfortable uh, in a situation with him that, you know, he used um, uh, inappropriate language or, you know, propositioned me. Um, I thought at the time that he wanted to have an affair with me. Um, I, I never felt like I was physically threatened by him. Um, and listen, working in this broadcast industry, working in many industries, um, women are faced with these situations where you have to kind of walk this line of laughing it off or trying to get away from it or, you know, saying I have a boyfriend or a husband or... Um, so I just kind of used those skills over the years that I've had to deal with this kind of thing because this was not an isolated incident, uh, you know, throughout my broadcasting career. I've had it happen before. So when he did these things, uh, it, you know, I would say it lasted for about a, a year where I would have to, you know, uh, laugh it off or, you know, um, avoid situations or, um, you know, not count, contact him. And I've, I've heard over the years that other women have had kind of the same thing happen. But there wasn't a whole lot we could do. And to be honest with you, I was trying to get out of the IMAS job, and I was able to sort of, you know, convince him that I had a boyfriend and I wasn't interested in his advances. Um, so after that, we had a great working relationship. He was very supportive of me. He obviously hired me. I went through health challenges. I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis back in 2005. He was supportive of me becoming a mom and a working mom. So, yes, I'm very conflicted. I knew that the behavior was possible. Uh, and um, when all of the, um, you know, when the lawsuit, when Gretchen Carlson filed her lawsuit, I thought it was important to, um, you know, to talk about my experiences just in case there were other women out there. And if he wasn't guilty of harassment, then he would be victorious. And unfortunately, you know, the company did get, you know, he was, he, um, he left in disgrace. And, um, but I, I would be lying to you to say that I didn't have, uh, you know, great feelings for him as well as a boss and a mentor and someone who was very loyal to the people and the company that he, that he founded. So I hope that I presented both of those sides, that, that he did have a, 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 not a good side to him. Um, but do I believe he was like a Harvey Weinstein? I don't think so, but I can only speak for myself. Right, right. Well, I feel the same way. I'm very conflicted because he hired me and he taught me a lot. And he, yep. you know, he taught all of us a lot. And, um, you know, he, he also built the number one cable news station in the country. So... It is it is um, a difficult difficult situation, but you really did lay it out very well and very, as you would say, fair and balanced in the book. So, let's talk about what you just mentioned being diagnosed with MS because I have to say just how you truly inspire all of us every single day. How you've handled your diagnosis, you've had this disease for fifteen years almost, and it, you know you don't let it you don't let it hold you back. You inspire so many people who have MS. You inspire people like me who don't have MS just to live live every day to the fullest and not let anything hold you back. And as you say, you know, have this mostly sunny attitude. So tell us more, though, like give us the real, real, J.D., about what is it like just in general living with MS? Well, when I was diagnosed, I really 
that was another dark period of my life because I didn't know a whole lot about the illness. Um, I saw my life in a wheelchair and um, didn't, you know, thought that my boyfriend would probably leave me and my career would be over. Um, having said that, you know, all these years later, I'm doing relatively well. I've had to be on a medication for all of those years. I'm on something different this past year because I had a pretty big flare-up. Uh, so I have um, uh, what they call relapsing remitting MS. There's different forms. There's different strains, if you will, of MS. And so when I have a flare-up, uh, most often I will go back to a period of normalcy or um, remission. So I've been living relatively well. I I can't tell you what it's like to live normally because I have always had certain things in, you know, in my health that that I've had to deal with over these years. So I I can't tell you what my normal life would have been. Um, But there are certain triggers. I can't be out in the heat for a long period of time. I feel bad because my kids love to be out in the summertime and I can't be out uh, too long. I have to make sure that I'm sleeping well, uh, and sometimes that's hard in a job where I work mornings. But I also have, uh, you know, a lot of mentors. I have a great doctor, but I also talk about how, you know, navigating and trying to find that great doctor was was certainly challenging. Um, neurologists are sometimes can't aren't the best people who have great bedside manner. So I had to find somebody that was right for me that that um, you know that sat down with me and and you know spelled things out and was very compassionate. Um, so I've lived a pretty, you know, r- relatively good life. I, I don't quite know what my future is still because we have no cure for MS, but I will say that being involved with the Multiple Sclerosis Society, um, we're, you know, we're getting there. We're maybe not a cure, but we're starting to realize that we could maybe halt the progression of the disease with some of the medications that are coming out. And there are a lot more medications that are coming out, and we're diagnosing it sooner, which is great. And I also work for a company that has been very supportive of me. So even though I talk about, you know, the challenges at work that I've had, I also work for a wonderful company that is very supportive, and I have a wonderful mentor and hero to me, Neil Cavuto, who um, who has worked here since the very very beginning of Fox News. He also has MS. He was also a cancer survivor. I was able to talk to him. He was able to sort of tell me, you're going to be okay. You work for a great company that's going to support you, even if they have to build his and her uh, ramps for wheelchairs. Uh, So, you know, and that's also a testament to this great company, too. I've never felt... I've never felt nervous to tell them, uh, you know, if I need time off or I'm going through a flare-up. And, you know, that's, that's such a huge testament to this company. Um, people still tell me that they're afraid to tell their employers um, that they have a chronic illness. So I'm very grateful um, to Fox for allowing me to not only spread m- the message of me having a chronic illness, but also being very supportive of myself and my family. Oh, of course. And we, we do love Neil Cavuto. So big shout out love to him. him. He's truly an incredible gentleman. So, but how do you, Janice, how do you every day, like, do you dig deep and say to yourself, you know, I'm not going to let this get the best of me. I'm going to stay positive and I'm going to live my best life and put my best foot forward. How do you stay so positive when you do have every single day a health issue that's hanging over your head? Well, it's one thing when you are diagnosed with something like a chronic illness 
such as MS, you realize that every day is a gift. So I always say every day I get out of bed and I put my two feet on the ground and I stand up. That's a great day. Um, so I, I am appreciative of that. Some, that's something I didn't have pre-diagnosis. I have the support of a wonderful family. My husband uh, has been with me through sickness and in health. Uh, my kids are amazing. And, um, you know, I have wonderful role models that I believe God has put in my life for a reason. I talk about Mrs. Klein, uh, a teacher who my son has uh, had for third grade who was diagnosed with MS and is in a wheelchair but continues to teach. And she opened up a door to be able to explain to my kids that I have the same thing as Mrs. Klein, but we're not going to let us that. We're not going to let that um, dissuade us from doing what we most love to do and being our best selves. So I'm not going to lie and tell you that every day is mostly sunny. I certainly have days that are cloudy and, and I feel bad for myself or I feel sorry for myself. But more often than not, I'm just very grateful that the sun comes up and I have a great family and and that and my health so far is 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 prevailing. Yeah. And let's talk about your wonderful and very handsome husband, Sean. What's it like being married to such an incredible man from the New York City Fire Department? You must be so proud, huh? I am proud and I I won't give it away, but I do tell this great story of how we met. It was a blind date and it has a Canadian connection. My friends Leanne and Tony met him on their honeymoon in Hawaii and I am so grateful for them because I've had a lot of um, unhealthy relationships with men in my life. And so I always say I must have done something good in my uh, my youth or my childhood, just like uh, Sound of Music, that uh, wonderful lyric. I really believe that I must have done something good to deserve him um, because he really is a, a remarkable person. Um, and he's had his challenges as well, a New York City firefighter. So he went through 9-11. He lost... 12 men in his firehouse. He's lost more men than that uh, through 9-11 cancer uh, and illnesses. So, um, you know, we found each other at a, a, a great time that we both needed someone. And I won't say it was love at first sight either. It was mostly just meeting a friend. Uh, I didn't know anybody at New, in New York at the time. And so our relationship started off as a friendship, and then it sort of gradually blossomed into something more romantic. And that's, you know, one of my favorite stories is meeting him and how we were able to um, find one another and and be supportive of each other and then, you know, have two beautiful boys. Yeah. Um, Well, it's so it's such a it's such a beautiful love story. And also just a testament to being a team, right? A husband and wife team. Absolutely. You guys really are. So let's talk about your two boys. How have your two sons, Matthew and Theodore, how have they changed you as a person? Oh, my goodness. Um, There are no words to describe how they've changed me. Being a mom is the greatest role I've ever had in my life. And I'm so blessed to have them. I, you know, I, I, I am somebody who believes in God, but when I see my kids, it just makes me believe even more that there's a higher power out there, that they are just pure magic. Uh, they are truly my sunshine, my two boys. I can't imagine my life without them. Uh, and, you know, that's another lesson I bring up in the book is we, Sean and I got married late in life, and we didn't talk about children that much. We were both very, you know, career-driven, um, him with the fire department and advancing with the fire department and myself, you know, at Fox, trying to to build a, a career and a living. Um, and it was my MS doctor that said to us one day, are you guys planning to have children? And we both looked at each other 
and said, oh, are we? <laughs> and he told me that um, women who have babies who become pregnant, um, for some reason, once they're carrying a child, the body is more focused on protecting the child than it is attacking its immune system. So he said women who get pregnant do very well and rarely have flare-ups because the body is doing this miraculous thing of, of, of having, a, you know, growing a child inside. So we were like, okay, when do we get started? And thank God, you know, I think back to myself, my goodness, if I wasn't diagnosed, would we have had children? Um, so that's another blessing in disguise that I talk about. But they are amazing. I love them so dearly. And it's also a priority thing. You know, I go home at night after my job, and I realize just lying in bed with them and reading to them, you know, that's my greatest role in this life. It's, you know, I have a great job, but if it were to end tomorrow, I, you know, I, I would be okay because I have a wonderful family in my life. Oh, well, I love that. That's so great. And Janice, how do you tell us a little bit more about, because I love to talk about this on the podcast, because those of us that have children and also work, how do you juggle it all, right? I feel like I, I struggle with balance, and I feel like we all kind of do. And I know you have a great support system of girlfriends, and you guys probably all talk about this too, and maybe this is the million-dollar question, but how do you juggle it all? It's hard, right? Yes, and I, but I also think that we have to um, stop, you know, stop uh, crucifying ourselves over it. You know, I, I, it is a question that we all ask ourselves, and I always say, why are we so hard on ourselves? Um, you know, we're just doing the best that we can. And listen, my mom was a stay-at-home mom for many years, and sometimes, you know, I'm pretty convinced that had she stayed in her job, she might have been a happier person. Uh, now, I don't know that for a fact. And I don't know if I've ever really asked her that, but I know that she loved to work. And I felt that as a kid at home that, you know, that maybe she should be doing something that she loves to do. You know, we'll be okay if she wants to go and pursue something that makes her happy in her life. Um, I love what I do. I genuinely adore people I work with and the job that I do. And I, when I go home, I hopefully bring that home to the kids. Now, listen, I don't see them in the morning. That's, that's a hard trade-off. But my husband's there with them in the mornings. And I write little lunchbox jokes, which I give them every day, to just let them know that I'm thinking of them and when, they, when they open their lunch. And it's the lunch that their dad made them. Um, I also have help. I have, a, you know, a village that helps me. I have friends and family. I have I'm very fortunate to have a nanny that's been with us for 10 years that's part of our family. I realize that a lot of moms don't have that, and I feel very fortunate that I do. But I also have, you know, the support of of many women in my community. We all help each other out. I have women on speed dial if someone's not there or someone gets sick. Last week I wasn't at home, so I got my neighbor Dervla to pick up my son Matthew until I got home. You know, we all have to work off each other. Um, and, and not beat ourselves up for, you know, mommy grief that we give ourselves. Because I think my boys are, they're going to be okay, and they're going to grow up knowing that their mom did something they, she absolutely loved to do. Um, and then they, they also got the best of me when I went home. That's great advice. I love that. So thank you for sharing that. And I really want to highlight some of your other best advice. You give so many great tips in the book. We could talk about it for hours because there's so many good takeaways just about having a positive attitude and refusing to let setbacks get in your way. 
But one of my favorite pieces of advice you mentioned, it's on page 235 of the book, Mostly Sunny, and you say, and I'm quoting here, I've learned over the years that sometimes you have to make your own sunshine. So tell us more, J.D., about that, because I feel like this advice is going to resonate with so many of our listeners. Well, listen, I think that we, uh, that's exactly it. I've learned over the years that sunshine comes in different forms. My children are my sunshine. Uh, when they smile, they light up the room. Um, you know, I, sunshine to me is being happy and feeling that warmth on your face, but it doesn't have to come from being outside and it being sunny. It can be a gray, terrible day, uh, but you're inside and you're dancing with your kids. So it's sunny in my living room when I'm with my children. It's sunny when I am doing something and I'm going to dinner with my husband and we're talking about our days and our kids' lives. Um, so, yeah, it's just it's making, uh, you know, making sunshine or seeing the bright side of things um, without it being obvious, you know, going outside and it's sunny. That's wonderful. And the sun is shining and it's a great day. Um, but Sunshine can certainly come from different places. The sunshine can from, come from your heart or your church or your girlfriends or your husband or your children. You know, I just think you always have to look for that and realize it while it's happening. We're all going to be looking for those little moments, right? Our sunny moments. So, J.D., yeah. what is next for you? Tell us what's next for Janice Dean, as our friend Shep would say. Janice Dean, the weather machine. <laughs> what is next for you, J.D.? You know, I, I'm enjoying the ride, enjoying every day. Uh, honestly, every day that I get up and, and I see my kids smiling and everybody's happy and healthy, you're always going to go through challenges, right? That's what life is all about. But I think you, if you look at those challenges and what, what, when they happened and why they happened and where you are today, it, it becomes very clear. Um, so right now, I'm just enjoying the fact that, you know, the, the, it's wonderful that the book is successful and, it, and it's resonating. And I love the emails and the texts and the tweets from people who are reading it and saying, oh, my mom is reading it now, and they're getting something out of that. That is like the greatest reward. I don't know if there's another book in me. I, maybe I'll write another children's book um, because I love doing that. But, you know, I'm just going to enjoy the ride. I'm going to enjoy my friends and my family and, and find those moments of sunshine in my life. And, and I'm not going to lie. I'm hoping that it's like smooth sailing for the next 40 years. Uh, but I know that I'm equipped with, you know, the strength and resilience for whatever comes my way. Oh, you're amazing. And I want to put in a little plug that my kids both loved all your Freddie the Frogcaster, your, your your line of children's books. So just putting in a little uh, good word that maybe there's another Freddie book out there for, for my kids because you really are teaching kids about weather, which I think is so awesome. And remember, guys, it's science. So we all want every all of our kids to learn more about science. So, And J.D., if they want to buy your book, it, even, you know, the Freddie the Frogcaster books, or most importantly right now, Mostly Sunny, where do they find your book? I found it at Barnes & Noble. I know. I love that you found it at Barnes and & Noble. And, um, and, and by the way, was- I'm sure you saw on my Instagram, I bought the last copy, and I went ah! over... I went over to talk to the to the um, woman at the customer service desk to ask where your book was, and she said, "Well, you're getting the last copy because it's selling out like crazy." So kudos oh, to wow. you. But so yeah, where well, do we find your book? 
so that's kind of hopefully Barnes and Noble, but I, I'm a big believer in independent bookstores. Um, you know, I love going into bookstores and spending. I, I would I did it this past weekend with my kids, just roaming around and looking at books. So important. I love reading to my kids. So support your independent bookstore. Um, Barnes and Noble, obviously. Amazon has been great. Uh, it's you know it's pretty much available. I think where you can buy books. And I am also a big believer in passing a book along. So if you like the book, if you have it, and you have someone that might want to read it pass it along. Well, I actually I actually have a wait list for mine, Janice. You'll be proud to know I have a wait list going because I've told so many people that how much I was loving your book and how much it was helping me and how I thought it would help them. So I actually have a wait list going to pass the book. So that's amazing. We are going to be passing it along. And Janice is also on Instagram. You guys all know the gram is my jam. So follow Janice on Instagram. Janice, what's your handle? It's Janice FNC. I love Instagram too. It's it's just a happy place, right? We it like really to is. keep it happy. And yes. as as you would say, we like to keep it mostly sunny. So That is right. Yes. All right, JD, thank you so much for being our good news guest today. Your new book is so amazing and so are you and everyone knows this, but to know you is really to love you. So we are all so proud of you for being you and sharing all this amazing advice in your new book and crushing it on the New York Times bestseller list. And please say hi to everyone at Fox for me. Most importantly, my former boss, who is also now your boss, Suzanne Scott. Give yeah. everyone, though, a big hug and tell them I, I miss them. And a special, special shout out to Suzanne Scott, who taught me so much when I was at Fox. I'm glad you brought her up. She's a big part of the book and big part of the reason why I'm still here. Uh, she's, she is doing really well and she's, she's really helped this company uh, be what it is today. So I'm grateful for her as well. I am too. Okay. Well, girls, we all have to stick together, right? So That's JD, right. thank you so much. And thank you all for listening today and learning more about Janice Dean, the weather machine and her new book, Mostly Sunny. I am so grateful for all of you out there. I know that I would never be here without all of you supporting and supporting me and inspiring me to be a kinder, better person every single day. Stay tuned for next week's podcast. Remember, you can find me on iTunes. Please be sure to subscribe and rate and review my podcast too. The mission of this podcast is to get better together as a community right here in the audio space. For now, I am your host, Nina Clark. Remember, find me on Instagram too. Find Janice Dean and Nina Clark both on Instagram because we love Instagram. Thank you again for listening, and let's keep being awesome.